This is Code Switch. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates, and we have a little something extra for you this week, a trip to the movies. While Nate Parker's been getting all the attention out of Hollywood, for better or worse, we didn't want to let an independent that comes out this week get overlooked. It's called Southside With You, and it's a romantic comedy drama that explores a first date on a summer day back in 1989. As the title suggests, it takes place in Chicago and stars Parker Sawyers as a young Barack Obama and Tika Sumter as Michelle Robinson. Director Richard Tenney also wrote the film, and it opens Friday. Michelle thought it wasn't a date. It isn't. Going to an awful lot of trouble for just another smooth-talking brother. He's the summer associate I told y'all about, the one from Harvard Law. He invited me to a community event. So what's this boy's name? Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Hi. Hello. You're late. I was hoping you wouldn't notice. I expected it. You were late for your first day of work. You noticed that too. I'm your advisor. I'm supposed to notice. <laughs> well, Michelle, all set? Hmm? Shouldn't we be getting to the meeting? Uh, we have some time. I thought we'd swing by the art center, see some paintings, maybe grab a bite to eat. This is not a date. How's it gonna look if I start dating the first cute black guy who walks through the firm's doors? It would be tacky. You think I'm cute? I didn't say that. The movie got me thinking that you don't often see black love in dramatic film where you're paying $14.50 a pop and settling into a theater seat with a bucket of popcorn to enjoy just a regular old summer flick. So we invited NPR film critic Bob Mondello to explore this movie and the idea of black love on film. Hey, Bob. Hey, it's great to be here. So let's start with Southside with you. How is it? I really enjoyed it. It's remarkable in not being remarkable in any particular way. It is just a date. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's a pretty famous date. They have talked about it for many years. But it is not, um, how, to, how to say it, it is not about other things. It's just about the two of them getting to know each other over the course of a long afternoon. And it's, it's very sweet. I have to say, I found um, some parts of it just both amusing and really recognizable. I kept mm-hmm. saying to myself, oh, this is real black life. Like when her dad said, and what's this boy's name? I could hear that coming out of my father's <laughs> mouth. And the same response, Baraka, what? What? What's this funny name? Who is this guy? He's not a regular guy. <laughs> no, it's. I, I think what is, I, seriously, what is remarkable about the picture is that at any given moment, it's not being remarkable. It is being lifelike. Yeah, she's going to the grocery store. Her mm-hmm. mother's kind of, um, you know, needling her a little bit about, mm-hmm, we're getting all mm-hmm. careful for this date. It doesn't, doesn't look like it's just a community meeting to me. You're, you're getting pretty spiffed up for this and, <laughs> and her protesting too much. And it just, you know, the kind of banter showing the sort of easy relationship she had with her parents, it was really refreshing. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that's what's going to make the film click. I think audiences will take to it. I, you know, if it had come out a few years ago, it would be regarded as uh, sort of political propaganda. But at this point, Mr. Obama doesn't have a whole lot more to uh, He's got a foot out gain, the door. So. Well, and plus, I think a couple of years ago, I don't think people would have dared to do this. You know, they're that's kind possible. of like these icons and they're mm-hmm. sitting literally they're they're in the oval office um you just don't do that kind of speculation about a president but this is a slightly different kind of president he's talked a lot about how they first met they have slightly mm-hmm. different 
visions of uh, how well, they first met. And isn't it fun to see the, the I, I hesitate to call them impersonations, but I mean, you know, with uh, with Parker Sawyer, I, I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, okay, the ears aren't quite big enough, right? Yeah. And, or, or they don't stick out quite enough. And the voice is maybe a little too high, but every once in a while, I, I forgot it wasn't Barack Obama. It when looks he's like, walking that sort of yeah. slouchy stroll, hey y'all, I'm it, nothing big. It, really you know, remarkable. What's, what's the deal? And she and just nails Michelle. She was perfect. She had the, the sort of little um, snippy, black preppy mm-hmm. attitude. You're late. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to be late for Ms. R at that point. Yeah. So yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that that was part of the fun. And you know, we have seen her real mother, um, Mrs. Robinson, because she's lived with them in the White House. When she's given interviews, it sort of sounds like. Vanessa Bell Calloway's character that we see on the screen. You know, she's sort of calm, no nonsense, not impressed with any of the hoop-de-doo. It's like, yeah, okay, here's the deal. I I think that's true. They've nailed what we think we know about the Obamas, right? Mm -hmm. And they've done it in a way that is very appealing because they're young. And and attractive. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of the reason this film works is because we have seen the Obamas sort of out in public holding hands mm-hmm. frequently, you know, arms around each other's waist, True. the kiss hello, the kiss goodbye. It's not quite as frozen or as premeditated as many other presidential couples have been. They're still relatively young. Oh, and, dear. You think there's going to be a series of these? We could have uh, yeah, no, I, George and Martha, <laughs> George and Barbara. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> anybody and anybody next. I can't imagine that this would be the, uh, the same thing. But you sort of look at it and you can see how the two of them mm-hmm. got together. I think one of the things that really impressed me about this film was that you saw that what the Michelle Obama character wanted, or the Michelle Robinson character, she wanted to be loved. She wanted the Mm -hmm. kind of marriage that her parents had, which Uh didn't say that they always agreed necessarily, but you could tell in the body language, in, you know, uh, the mom's... uh, sort of dad looked like he was going to pick something up and she walked over and just placed it closer to him like here you go sweetie Mm -hmm. you know the looks back and forth with them it's like a lot of people in good long-term marriages have they were not speaking of george and martha george and martha Mm -hmm. wolf there was no screaming there was no throwing anything there was no any of the rest of that it was sort of this teamwork vibe you got Mm -hmm. and the fact that they still really enjoyed each other. And I would imagine that people who have had that experience as the children of people like that um, go one of two ways. Either they have impossibly high standards and they're never going to be happy because nobody can measure up to my parents. Or they say, yeah, I want something close to that. Mm-hmm. I want that same feel that my mom and dad had that when familiar, I was growing the up. The familiar bit where, where family family mm-hmm. is familiar, right? That, mm-hmm. that the whole idea is that this is familiar. And that's what has been lacking if, in portrayals of black love on screen for many years. When I started researching this, I went back through my own pieces on the radio and, and the research I had done for those uh, years ago. And I went all the way back to silent film to look for examples of African-Americans who were in love and that that was the central thing in a movie. Mm -hmm. And 
it's hard to find for the longest time. I mean, it really is. There are there's a a, a film that was uh, back in the in the 1940s and before they were called race films. Mm-hmm. Um, they were designed specifically for. Uh, the African-American audience. There are a few like, uh, for instance, um, Cabin in the Sky, uh, which was a, a just a, a gorgeous film, but was based on a Broadway show that had music in it. And so it was a very musical thing. There was Porgy and Bess. There was Carmen Jones. These were big, full operatic uh, productions. But you hear what that's about. That's about stylizing black love and and oh go ahead what what is what's striking to me about it is that it seems to me that that's i mean it's it's about making that love safe in Mm -hmm. a way you know what i mean in many ways sort of sexually safe because who has sex in a musical right sure um I mean, one of these days they may do Fatal Attraction, the musical, but <laughs> oh, dear, probably not no. anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> you cannot see that. But it's, I mean, you're right that it sort of takes the edges off, um, and it makes it more accessible. Well, it to heightens, audiences. right? Yeah. It heightens it at the same time that it makes yeah. it somehow distant. And yeah. that, if you're what you're trying to do is make a conventional white audience in the suburbs comfortable with what they're watching, the stylizing of it makes it okay, right? And and that, it seems to me, is what they were trying to do back when they were making things like Porgy and Bess and Carmen Jones. Um, Carmen Jones is the Georges Bizet opera Carmen, mm-hmm. but set in the American South rather than in its original setting over in, in Europe. And, and instead of Toreadors, they have guys who enlisted in the army. Right. I think it's a cigar factory, too. Mm-hmm. It's a, so that in, in every respect, this is an Americanization of this story. And Oscar Hammerstein, he had just finished Oklahoma on Broadway, and they brought him in to do the script to redo the, the lyrics um, for the musical. And he turned Carmen Jones into this remarkable show. And then, I mean, basically what he was trying to do was to duplicate what had happened with Porky and Bess a couple of years earlier on Broadway. And so Carmen Jones became this other thing. And it actually, I think it made it to, um, it made it to the screen faster than Porgy and Bess, which came along a, a, about half a decade later. But those shows, again, the, the whole point there was that they were, they were stylized to a fare thee well, and therefore they were somehow safe. Uh, Sidney Poitier, <laughs> he, he did not sing in Porgy and Bess, by the way. Um, but he did play Porgy. And, I always thought I remembered him singing. Because yeah, I know I you do. singing somewhere, but I, I guess maybe not. Well, you do, you do remember him moving his lips as someone was singing. But, oh, I see. Uh, okay. <laughs> but anyway, Sidney Poitier then goes into something like A Raisin in the Sun. And there you see the normalcy of American black life. Uh, in a in a very real sense, because Lorraine Hansberry wrote this gorgeous, gorgeous piece of of writing, and uh, he and Ruby D play uh, the young married couple who are living in his mother's house because he can't make it uh, out in the world yet, and uh, it's a profoundly affecting story, and it's all about their relationship and his attempts to get ahead in life to make a life for his son. Yeah, this is still, I don't know, Netflix, Hulu, somewhere. It's really worth watching. It's a beautiful, oh, it's beautiful. Uh, beautiful yeah. film. Yeah. My favorite love story, I guess, um, from that period is the one he did, which was a little film. It came and it went with Abby Lincoln called For Love of Ivy, where he oh. played an accountant uh, to a uh, a 
white family living in right. Pacific Palisades, I think. And he meets their housekeeper and takes a shine to her. And they start to date mm-hmm. after a while, and they get serious. And she's going to leave them and go move over to his side of town because he becomes engaged to her. And the family is like, wait, wait, <laughs> Ivy's our housekeeper. What will we do? And he said, I don't know, but you're going to have to do something because we are leaving. And mm. left. And everybody in the theater back in the 60s when I saw it was like, oh, because instead of, you know, a knight on shining armor, this was a knight with a leather attache ah. and a perfect enunciation who basically said, I am not intimidated by white folks in the Pacific Palisades. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my person of choice and we are leaving, period, the end. I thought that was pretty romantic. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> uh, we can't talk about romance and black love on film without talking about Sidney Poitier, can we? <laughs> That's certainly true. <laughs> and uh, and from Sydney, I guess we go to Denzel, who was a matinee idol, or is, as my mother would say, this, the Sydney of his day. Uh-huh. Um, although he has a wider range of roles than Sydney did. Well, Why do you think that he, is? Well, because he didn't have to be perfect all the time. And and that was something that Sidney Poitier really did, uh, even in films like To Sir With Love. Um, and I think Denzel Washington could play in one movie. He could be, I, yeah, I'm thinking uh, Mississippi Masala, mm-hmm. uh, where he's kind of a dreamboat um, dealing in a... Well, it's a, it's a complicated movie because it's a Mira Nair movie, but it's a uh, it's a film in which he is a sort of mat- he's matinee idol handsome. A lot of people look at him. It's a different kind of role than he played in, say, American Gangster, um, where he can be brutal and uh, violent and all kinds of things like that. He's all over or the place. Training day. He's oh, like, my you goodness, know, yes. he did not have to assume Sydney's noble Negro mantle to do Training Day. In fact. You know, I sometimes think that maybe he takes those roles because he doesn't want to be sort of straight-jacketed by the need to satisfy somebody else's respectability politics. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, You know, the, the other thing, though, to, to think about with those kinds of roles is that it's all about the action, right? It's about the kinds of action that takes you away from relationships. And mm-hmm. when if, if what you're trying to do is a movie about black love... Um, then you don't want that much going on elsewhere in the film that is going to take you away from it. And so I think that maybe Denzel Washington has taken us to a different place. Other actors will take us uh, a little further than that. We're going to take a short break, but when we get back, Bob Mandelo and I will continue our conversation about black love on film. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates. You're listening to Code Switch. This week, we're conducting a brief survey to learn more about who's listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour and how you're using NPR podcasts. Please visit npr.org slash PCHH survey to take it. It will really help us out. Thanks. This is Code Switch. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates. We're talking about a new movie, Southside with You, about the first date of Michelle and Barack Obama. And it seems like a great time to talk about black love, or the lack of it, in film. I'm talking with our film critic, Bob Mondello. And Bob, how has this changed over time, the whole notion of how black love is portrayed on film? 
Well, to some extent, I think it's gotten more uh, conventional. It's gotten more relaxed. Um, I was talking earlier about how stylized things were for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the whole notion of using a lot of music in a movie that's about romance in order to sort of distance that romance a little bit is something that was still in play when something like Purple Rain came along. But Prince moved everything forward. That was a very sexy film, right? It, it was. It, it was a, a film in which you, you thought about the characters as uh, sexual beings, which is not as true of something like Porgy and Bess. So I, I think things have moved. And then you get a, a film like How Stella Got Her Groove Back, where Angela Bassett was just, I mean, she was amazing in that. And it was it really was about this this sort of uh, very powerful black woman deciding that she was going to get back in the saddle, basically, that the, the things were going to work out and that she wasn't dependent on some guy. Um, and those kinds of characters became sort of striking um, symbols for those kinds of movies were going to go. You know, one of the things I've, I've been discovering this summer as I was looking around was that there are almost no romantic comedies anymore. They didn't, hmm. the, people don't make them. And when I looked up how much money they had made, I discovered that that's the reason, basically. Very few of them make a lot of money. How Stella Got Her Groove Back made a fortune when it came out. It did really well, and it started a whole movement. I think it was prepped, though, to a certain degree, by the success of Waiting to Exhale, sure. where it had gotten this crossover viewers, fans, mm. because I remember, you know, going to a screening for Waiting to Exhale, and there were all kinds of women in there. You know, they, mm. they sort of made it thinking, well, black women will come and see it. They were just astonished because they said, ah, oh, half the audience was white and they loved it. And it's like everybody loves a good story. They don't really care what color you That's are. That's true. That's true. Um, so back then, Bob, you did have some movies showing black romance. You had How Stella Got Her, her Groove Back, which, as you said, did very well. You had a little movie called Love Jones that mm. I loved about a sort of uh, black hipsters in Chicago, very artsy, bohemian types who were trying to merge their lives. And they had trouble doing that, but seeing the scenes of Chicago and their dates in these smoky bars and going to art openings, um, it was just a one, that was a wonderful date movie. I want to um, see movies like that again. How come they don't make them anymore, I wonder? I, I don't they make them anymore? You're well, Mr. Hollywood, tell me. <laughs> if I had my druthers, we'd have a lot more of those than we would have uh, superhero movies. The, the, the frustrating thing, I think, is that this is not just a question of black love not being shown on screen, but that it's essentially a problem that Hollywood isn't showing love on screen very much anymore. I've been doing a little bit of research into this for a piece I'm going to do soon, and the romantic comedy, the romance, has sort of gone by the wayside. You don't get very many of them in films anymore. Mm. It's it's across the board. It's not just in uh, in films about African Americans. So Roberta Flack was right. Where is the love? You know, it just you're not getting anymore. me to sing. I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we can't leave without talking a little bit more about Southside with you, which mm-hmm. is romantic, although in an acceptable kind of way. I keep hearing Michelle Obama's voice in my head, not in front of everybody. <laughs> um, it is fictionalized, but it does explore some universal themes of a first date and the tension surrounding a first date, even in Michelle's case, getting to admit that it was a first date. Mm-hmm. Um, young love being excited about the possibilities of a relationship. Um, 
You know, Bob, this is a sitting president we're watching on film. That's true. And I think they are uh, being, uh, I I was going to say careful, and it's not really that they're being careful about it so much as that we respect these two. And there's an expectation of what they're going to be on screen that the film needs to play into if it is going to get us to accept it. I also think that there's a respect for who Barack and Michelle Obama are. And so if the supposition is they're not wildly demonstrative in public, they're affectionate, you know, and playfully affectionate, then it wouldn't do to have a film that shows them being something they're not. Don't forget, it's a first date. I mean, you know, how how, how much is going to be going on? I mean, she was, she oh, was Bob, telling him, oh, have you now, seen Keeping on. Up with the Kardashians? A lot can happen on a first date. <laughs> I'm delighted to say I have not seen it. <laughs> I'm going to rectify that and send you a screener no. or something. <laughs> what do you think, Bob? Good date movie? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's like a perfect date movie. Yes. Bob Mondello is NPR's film critic and was kind enough to stop by and talk with me about Black Love on film. I loved it. I hope you'll come back again, Bob. Absolutely. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to end in true romance style. That's our happily ever after. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates with a Code Switch podcast extra. Thanks for listening. Our producer is Walter Ray Watson. The Code Switch podcast is edited by Alicia Montgomery and Tasneem Raja. Our Code Switch team includes Adrian Ferrido and Kat Chow. Gene Demby and Shereen Marisol Maraji are our co-hosts, and our news assistant is Leah Danella. You can find us on Twitter at NPR Code Switch and email us anytime at codeswitch at npr.org. We want to hear from you. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates. We're back next week. Take care. Thank you.